Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of the Writer's Mind podcast. Today, uh, I'm showing you an interview I did with WGA screenwriter Dominic Morgan. This is the first half of that interview, and we went into his life philosophy, formative moments in his life, and his deep advice to screenwriters in regards to how they should be viewing the world. So this is the first half of that interview. I highly recommend checking out the Patreon for episode 36, which has the second half of this interview. Really, really fantastic stuff in both of these episodes. Linked below, patreon.com slash the writer's mind. If you're interested, enjoy the podcast. So, Dominic Morgan, welcome to the Writer's Mind podcast. It's great to have you here. Great to be here, Tyler. So, what I want to talk about today is just not only you as the WGA screenwriter, but you as Dominic Morgan, the person, your worldviews, and your views on some different topics. So, what I wanted to start out and ask you is, what is the point of being a storyteller? from your point of view? There's several answers to that. Mm -hmm. And there might be a different answer for each story that you're writing. Mm. In fact, there should be. There should be a very clear reason why a story needs to be told. And um, I read somewhere that if you experience something, that it's not a full event until you've told the story of what happened mm. and somehow that completes it. So on one level, we might need to write as a form of uh, closure or as therapy, or mm. because some of us, it's not good enough to be sitting in the pub and tell the story or talk about a newspaper article. Right. We are wired differently. And screenwriters or novelists or documentary filmmakers, it is a passion that can become a bug. It's a mm -hmm. disease and it can be a healthy disease and it can be an unhealthy disease. It can become a compulsion. And any screenwriters, um, aspiring screenwriters, practicing screenwriters, I think will recognize this. So why do you think stories are important? Do you think they are therapy for writers? Or do you think there's something else to them? Like, are there multiple reasons that stories exist? What's your view on that? It depends on the story. I've, um, I've written mindless action movies. They exist because people like to get off on the violence, on the danger, on the excitement. There are theme park movies. Why do we, why do we go on theme parks? Mm -hmm. Probably for the same reason that some of us go to horror movies because we love, some of us love to be scared out mm -hmm. of our wits. And we get to experience this in a safe environment. You know, it goes back to Aristotle. We get to see characters who have got flaws like us go through hell, but we don't actually have to go through hell ourselves. Right. So um, those are just, you know, a couple of scenarios why stories exist. Yeah, I, because, you know, I, I agree with you. I think that one of the things that I've really focused on is that I really think that a story can really be a tool for a writer's worldview. So, you know, when you are talking through like some sort of argument or like, you know, philosophical viewpoint, I think there, what stories are great at is that there's this whole extra layer of 
how we communicate and how we look at the world that you can look at in a story that you can't look at in some sort of like, you know, debate on an idea. So there's this whole other like the emotionality of, of human beings and the fact that we have to make choices and all these other things also play into like our logical mind making, talking through like an idea. So when we have to make decisions and we have to, to handle like the consequences of those decisions and when we have to like exist in an emotional world, that all plays into us being a human and us figuring out what the best thing to do is and, and how to live and what is the right philosophy. And I think that stories, in my view, are so fun because they can, people are approaching them without believing that somebody's about to debate them on something, but they are, all, and at the same time, a story is getting into more of the layers of human existence than like a debate would or a philosophy book would or a book on psychology because you're not just looking at the logical elements of a theory, you're also like watching these symbols of human beings have to act out these ideas. Absolutely. And within that, there is philosoph you know, philosophical uh, treatmentees on the world and your worldview. Um, and what's interesting is how political a lot of stories are, that everybody mm -hmm. has a worldview. Right. And... I would, you know, I always cite Back to the Future as being a politically charged movie. Now, I think it's a perfect movie. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's 95 minutes of absolute structural and character gold and twists and stakes. Uh, he's got to get his parents back together because he screwed them up. And if he doesn't, he won't exist. And he's got to get back to the future and he's got to get the lightning. He's got so much to do. Mm -hmm. But if you actually look at it, loser Marty and lose a dad, they don't have any money, they live in a place that's not very nice. Um, the mum is overweight, because I think she is, you know, she dresses badly. Um, this is in the 80s, right? Mm -hmm. But when he's fixed the future, Marty's got a truck, his father has a BMW, his mum's got designer clothes. So you could look at something like Back to the Future and say, even though it's most brilliant sci-fi movie, somebody is channeling what, what winning looks like and what losing looks like mm -hmm. and losing is not having any money and not driving a bmw that's right. political now that's mm -hmm. that's obviously a tangent it's not maybe what you're you know but i think that everything that we touch is going to be um you know it's going to be influenced by our worldview as you say right and, and it's like worldview, is it is it political or is it what that writer is viewing as winning and losing or how life works right so it's like there's an element of what is what is because political is such a weird word right because there's an element of what is politics and what is like the the writer's particular worldview on this subject that is bleeding through as we can see you know this writer showing that you know being wealthier is winning not being wealthy is losing these sorts of things and that becomes a a political statement in a larger culture and also this individual's like worldview leaking out of of their story well i think the other way to look at it is and you know this is quite a i'm potentially a marxist for you goodness me <laughs> as a marxist but um you know art either supports the status quo or it challenges right. it right now, Back to the Future, in the Reagan era, supported the status quo. Mm -hmm. There's another version of that where Marty is, 
you know, living in a very unhappy life. And that future is, he's got to get to a different place that isn't about acquiring uh, status or acquiring wealth or material things or success, you know, for his parents. And I'm not criticizing right. it, but I think it's important that as artists and particularly for screenwriters, because traditionally, certainly if you work in the studio system, their business is not to challenge anything. Mm -hmm. um, you look at a movie like Zero Dark Thirty. So that movie, does it support the status quo that the war on terror is being fought against bin Laden for the greater good and that it tortures okay? Or does it challenge it? And actually, of course, it supports it. It supports right. the CIA's, CIA's and the CIA briefed uh, Catherine Bigelow and her screenwriter, Mark Boll. And they created this false narrative that if they hadn't tortured the courier, then we never would have got bin Laden. So that worked. There's another example of a Hollywood movie. And that wasn't even a big studio. I think, uh, who was it? I can't remember who did it. Um, but, you know, Annapurna, I think it was. But, you know, that was supporting, Top Gun supports the status quo mm -hmm. and the projection of American world, you know, power across the globe. That is why, as I discovered that since the 1970s, I was working on a project, the CIA has an attache in Hollywood. There's a TV show for you right there. Right. They have an attache. And in the 70s, there are all kinds of things that they were doing to influence um, American movies. And you look at what happened, the Cold War. Why did the, you know, why did the wall come down? Ultimately, because the Russians wanted MTV and American movies and Levi's. And the Soviets couldn't compete with that. You know, so... Um, why is this interesting? I don't know. Why is it relevant to writing? You should ask yourself, does my work support the status quo or does it challenge it? And there's no right answer either way. But be aware that if you're working for a big corporation, it's likely to support it. Right. I also think that there is a an argument to be made if we look kind of in history of writers, not even screenwriters, but just storytellers who were looking at ideas in their books or their short stories and, and these sorts of things, that most of the ones that became remembered for centuries or how, however long they however long ago they existed, they are remembered because they were challenging something. They had a specific worldview that was not what the culture was, right? So whether that is government-based, political-based, or I think there are also a lot of beliefs that exist outside of our political sphere but is but the, but our, our culture like there's i think there's a separation between like certain cultural views we all hold and then like government and politics and those sorts of things right and i think there's also just elements of how our society views itself how we view other societies um you know like american optimism right is, is a is a cultural thing right that's not necessarily a a political thing it is in certain ways and it, and it can be politicized and can be used for that but it's also like a a culture of these this group of people kind of holding a collective idea and i think those are also interesting because you can look at those um just as closely as you can look at things like political views like oh this government what is this government doing that's something you can look at in a story and you can also look at like what does my culture say do i agree with my culture what would i change what do i think is different it's interesting that I'll, I'll just, we move on from the politics, but one thing that I, I, I think was the 
uh, the highly left-wing filmmaker Ken Loach, I think it was Ken Loach or Mike Lee, said that American movies are, and Hollywood movies are a reflection of American foreign policy because mm. the heroes solve most of their problems with a gun violence or with money. And, <laughs> you know, the winner is the person who's the strongest and the richest. Mm -hmm. um, but then you look at a movie like Dead Poets Society, which, you know, is one of my you know favorite ones. There is a philosophical debate between do you follow your dreams um, or you, do you become a salary man or a salary woman right. and just, you know, buckle down. And there you have that, the Robin Williams character. And I remember when I, I saw it in 89, you know, and it had a, a big effect on a lot of people. And everyone said, carpe diem, carpe diem. Mm -hmm. um, but there are passages in there which are so relevant to screenwriters. And there's one which I, I always latch onto, which is he reads out a, a, a poem to the class. And he says that he reads out the line. He says, you know, everyone's going to get a verse. What verse will yours be? And that chills me. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just one piece of a continuing line of storytellers, mm -hmm. but you have a verse. Right. And that's why you've got to use your time very carefully to make sure that you can, you can actually express yourself. You know, I've written movies which are absolutely terrible and they have no worldview. Uh, you know, there's the thing hard target too. You know, there, there's no worldview in there. Right. There's no values in there. It's just a straight run around and shoot. Um, and I happen to love the first movie, which is a bad, good movie. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but this one is not, well, I, I, I shouldn't slag it off, but you know, you don't slag off what you've, you've written, but it's important that not all movies have values, but the strongest stories do have this debate between, um, you know, whether it's follow your dreams, be creative, seize the day, or knuckle down and don't be irresponsible. And it's interesting, that movie has a very even-handed look at what happens when people follow their dreams and it goes badly wrong, because uh, not the main, yeah, it is the main character, he kills himself, yep. you know, because he can't be, uh, he can't be Puck, and his dad right. is taking him out of the school, and he goes too far. Mm -hmm. And I think as a screenwriter, that certainly impacted on me, you know, because I've gone down routes where I've put other people's um, security and happiness um, on the line for my passion to tell stories because it's a compulsion, because it can become a bug. So it's not storytelling is a, can be a wonderful thing, but the other side of the knife is it can destroy your life as mm. well if you get the balance wrong. Right. You know, uh, one thing I wanted to come back to that you said, you were talking about the movies in the Cold War and movies in regards to like American foreign policy and like they win with money and guns. Right. And what's interesting is that those movies as single movies, you would say like, oh, like maybe the screenwriter didn't really create a movie with the idea to have a philosophical element to this. But if you look, if you step back, you can see the unconscious movement of where the larger like films are going, right? So it's like you have all of these movies that are essentially saying America wins with money and guns, right? And yeah. that that is unconscious, right? They're, they're not necessarily, you know, those writers may have thought, Oh, I'm, it's unconscious. You're yeah. Right. Oh, this it's is just an action movie. Messaging. You know, action thriller. Yeah, exactly. your values. If you if you agree with these values, and you're in the system, you don't 
kill your main character mm -hmm. um, because death you in Hollywood movies normally if you die you lose which is why it's it's so hard to sell uh, the death of a main character um, you know something like gladiator they had to create this whole journey that actually by dying he was being reunited by his family and if you believe in heaven then you believe um, that he's going to make it um mm -hmm. i'm working with a client at the moment on on a surfing sports movie on a teen sports movie and we've been looking at all these sports movies and some of the best sports movies are where the character loses you know whether it's rocky um or there are, I, I can't remember exactly there were, there were loads of them the very best ones was where the character didn't get what they wanted but in true Truby sense, the John Truby thing, you know, right. every script guru's got a piece. I know you know them back to front, mm -hmm. but you know, the one thing you get from Truby is what the character wants and what they need. Mm -hmm. And in the best sports movies, they don't win, but they do get what they need. So it's a happy ending. Now, right. who determines what is a, is a healthy need? The storyteller. Right. It's their worldview. Right it's values it's it's morality and it's done badly it's awful um if it's done well you can change people by increments because if i'm writing an opinion piece in the paper about um you know the the struggle between following your dreams or you know knuckling down and being responsible that's gonna be me preaching but if i can trojan horse it in in an entertaining story um then i'm going to be able to influence more minds than I would be that if I just gave you my opinion. Right. But let's be clear, the writer's opinion and worldview influences every story of decision. And um, we, we wrote, uh, my former writer and I, uh, we were, uh, we were uh, hired by a film company to write a kind of warriors football hooligan movie set in Istanbul. Um, at one point, Jason Statham was gonna be it. And the idea is there's an assassination at a football match, Jason Statham gets blamed and he's on the run. And he has to go through this gauntlet of all these English football hooligans who want to take him out. And we wrote the violence, the character, somebody who was appalled by his past history as a football hooligan. So he's a former football hooligan and mm -hmm. then he gets sucked back. And the only way he can get to the airport is by being this badass football hooligan again. Now, this is an action movie, right. but, but, you know, these are Western tropes, really, West, as you know, as in Western movies. And the note that we got from the executive is the violence is good, but we want to enjoy it. We don't want to be appalled by it. So that is a value. Now right. that wasn't our value, but that was a value that came right. down the chain from the producers that we were being too, we were creating a worldview that violence was a bad thing. And no, they wanted to enjoy it. Um, and if you look at the Bourne movies, going back to the politics, you know, it's the difference between Homeland and born born which is certainly after the first one after doug lyman doug lyman made the first one but that was pre 9 11. all the other stuff was was directed by paul greengrass right mm -hmm. who is a political filmmaker who is in the british political scene he's left wing and even though he's working inside the studio system he's created a narrative that the cia is a frankenstein monster and treadstone and all these illegal programs are essentially bad now look at homeland Homeland is interesting because through the Carrie character, the writers have put forward the idea that, yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff. Look at the damage. But ultimately, Homeland supports the status quo. And we know that because season three was held at the CIA. They had the premiere there. So wow. a different show 
if it had been from the worldview of, say, Paul Greengrass, the CIA would not be inviting in the makers of, of Homeland in to premiere in front of everything. Right. Because art either supports the status quo or challenges it. Absolutely. That's, uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't know that about um, the initial Bourne films. That's, that's so much because I love those movies too. But the first one is also very different from the other one, other, uh, the other two. Uh, and then, you know, there's a newer one now. But yeah, the, the Bourne identity is very different from two and three. Absolutely. Just like in the feel of it. You're totally right. And it's interesting that even without knowing that, because it's been a while since I've seen them, um, that there is, a, there is a real difference in the feel of them and the difference in what they're pushing. Black Hawk Down, which is, you know, that's, it's not everyone's favorite Ridley Scott movie, but mm -hmm. I can watch that as a roller coaster of being almost like 1917, that you're with these grunts in this combat situation and they've just got to get from A to B. Right. Well, on the D, it was shot before 9 11. Mm -hmm. It's adapted from Mark Bowden's book. And the original viewpoint, Bowden's book, as a book, as a storyteller, is an indictment of this is one of the most colossal mistakes in you know in foreign policy in military operations in you know since vietnam right. mogadishu the whole point is that you know after mogadishu uh, you know the americans and brits they held off intervening because they were so worried about getting sucked into another black hawk down situation right well in the original script and they shot it pre 9 11 the first thing that happens the choppers come down and they have a blue on blue situation so the two, I think, uh, I don't know if they're Ranger teams or SEAL teams um, uh, or Delta teams, they're shooting at each other. Mm. Now, on the DVD, that's in, I, I think it's a, an extra. Why did they cut it? And they said, well, you know, it was, um, it, was, uh, it was holding up the movie. We needed to get on. No. Why did they cut it? Because it came out at the time when patriotism, that value, and the American military and the British military, you know, we, we needed to be cheering our heroes. So the worldview of the author was this is a massive mistake. The worldview of the film after 9-11, after it was recut, it wasn't a mistake. It was a valiant sort of rescue mission and right. fight. So, you know, that is a historical event. And depending on who is writing it and who is producing it, it will have very different values attached to it, particularly military movies. You look at Green Berets with John Wayne. There is a movie where it celebrates it. Platoon is an anti-war, anti-foreign policy movie through the lens of the writer, Oliver Stone. Mm -hmm. So yeah. worldview, particularly with these, you know, political stuff. I don't want to, you know, I, I go on a lot about this, but the reason why this is something that I'm passionate about is I became... Uh, fascinated, obsessed about geopolitics, the espionage game, foreign policy. That was my bag. So right. when you're asking me about worldview, I'm talking to you about my understanding of how stories are influenced by, uh, you know, political pressure and filmmakers' politics. Um, you know, so that, you know, that's it really. Absolutely. Um, who was the guy who, that gun nut guy, the brilliant, Milius, John Milius. He was the only right-wing writer in the 70s you know he wrote conan mm -hmm. um and uh i think yeah apocalypse now um his views he's fated uh, he he wrote red dawn right red dawn i don't have you ever seen the original red dawn yeah i have okay so you've got america is invaded by right. russians right yeah now what's interesting is they rebooted that i saw it and did you see i haven't seen the remake i have is seen it, the remake three stars out of five or two uh, it's 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 
not great. I mean, I, I mean, I'm okay with trashy. I'm okay with low three stars if it's free. It, <laughs> Are you it, saying it's below low three? Probably. I mean, it, maybe a two, two and a half, three. Like I don't know. It was mid level. Like it was just. It was an action movie, right? It was a. It was a Chris Hemsworth, or or was it? Is it the other one? Is it Liam? One of the Hemsworths is in it. Yeah, I get him confused as well. Uh, it's a. It was a Hemsworth action movie. So. Okay. You know, well, it, look at that story. So originally they were all um, Chinese. Mm-hmm. They were, they thought, okay, at the time it came out and it was actually, I think it was Orion or someone. There was a studio that made it and then they went bankrupt. The movie wasn't released for a couple of years. And then by the time that the movie was picked up and came out of, you know, bankruptcy, they CGI'd the bad guys from Chinese, I think, to North, are they North Koreans that invade America? Yeah. They're North Koreans, I believe. Yeah, so they had to CGI because they were worried about offending the Chinese. So there's an example of politics influencing, and of course the studios, are, they need to you know, do movies in China. So they, right. they will come down. If you want to tell a story, I think it's quite, I mean, what's interesting is two years ago, pre-pandemic, you couldn't do anything anti-Chinese. Mm-hmm. So with Top Gun 2, even a year ago, uh, you know, Tom Cruise has a Taiwanese badge on his big jacket. Right. And they said, you've got to take that off. And the studio said, Par- I think it's Paramount. Said, yeah, okay. You know, okay, anything, because we need your access. Right, um, exactly. And there it, are it, many examples of this sort of censorship. It's it's interesting that we even, even you know, because I think if you look at people that aren't writers, even people that work on the business side of films, like producers and these sorts of people, is that even if they, or even in the general public as well, it's like, if even if you're not fully aware of like, oh, this is how stories influences people's worldviews, you really, you unconsciously just know that like, ah, we can't do this because it's going to give this message. You know that stories are messages. You know, everybody feels that. They feel that stories mean something. And that is an innate element of human beings and our relationship to stories. Stories mean something. I mean, that's that's what, you know, I'd quote that line back to you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the first half of this interview with Dominic Morgan. If you want to watch the second half, then please go head over to the Patreon at patreon.com slash the writer's mind for episode 36, which is the second half of my interview with Dominic.